It is episode number 448, and today I chat with Irish national champion Imogen Cotter. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to episode number 448 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Hope you're enjoying the Giro d'Italia. Yesterday I had a little bit of a rest day roundup. I kind of conflicted because in previous years I have done a daily Giro d'Italia podcast. And I remember last year in particular because I was in Girona doing the Giro d'Italia podcast. And I remember how difficult it was to bring and execute on that Giro d'Italia podcast every single day coming in from training rides, trying to catch up with friends, etc. And Girona. I made the decision this year not to do the daily podcast for a number of reasons. And I just wanted to address this because it's something that I have got a lot of questions about. And have I moved away from totally doing daily podcasts? And it's something which I may come back to for the Tour de France, but I won't be doing it for the Giro and I won't be doing it for the Vuelta. The podcast has broadened a little bit. We started out as an entirely cycling-focused podcast. And it's maybe the broadening of the podcast mirrors the evolution of me as an athlete and my understanding of what it means to be a complete athlete. Because when I started out, really what I focused on was just cycling. When I started out my journey in cycling, I thought that success was winning bike races. I thought that was the only thing that mattered. And because of that, I focused 100% of my time and attention on cycling. But as I you know, matured as an athlete and went on this never-ending search for information and I realized that the destination I'm looking for it's not winning bike races the destination I'm looking for is as the tagline of the podcast says health happiness and longevity the vehicle I've chosen to get health happiness and longevity is the bike but it doesn't mean that the bike is the only tool necessary to do this job because we have the bike on one hand but we have nutrition we have wellness we have strength and conditioning, we have self-mastery, spirituality, and these are all topics which I now explore on the podcast. So the podcast, to get us to that destination of health, happiness, and longevity, it's had to evolve and become this new multifaceted organization that's not entirely cycling-centric. So to do a Giro d'Italia podcast and box off three weeks of entirely cycling content, I felt would do a disservice to our mission on this podcast to bring you messages relating to health, happiness and longevity. Because a lot of the tips on this podcast are stuff you can take to use to improve your relationship with your significant other, to improve your relationship with your family, to improve your relationship or have a better chance of promotion in work or to have just a better work environment. And these are all the tools and strategies and tips I try to bring you from world-class authors, top performers and professional athletes. And for that reason, I've elected not to do the Giro d'Italia podcast, but it doesn't mean I went not enjoying it and every bit as much as I have been in previous years. And that's why I wanted to do the little rest day roundup. And it's something I will continue to do during the Giro d'Italia so now that I've wrapped up that little uh, explanation, and as I say, it was something I wanted to address just because so, there was such an influx of messages inquiring about the daily podcast. But valuable content like today's show would have been missed if I had a chose to do it, which is a nice segue to what today's show is. Today's show is with Irish national champion Imogen Cotter. Imogen has been on the podcast a number of times, and Imogen is just somebody who I love chatting with on the podcast. I could just... You know, I could chat with Imogen all day on such a range of topics. And the nature of the podcast is, unfortunately, I only get to check in with amazing people like Imogen at times, like when they win national titles, secure professional contracts, or have these huge setbacks. And that is regrettable and something I will try and address. And I'd love to get Imogen on more and more often. It is one of those landmark moments is why I have her back on the podcast. Last time she was on the podcast, she had just won the Irish National Championships. She had secured her professional contract and the future was bright. The future was everything she had dreamed since she started cycling. She had become that. And in the blink of an eye, on a training ride in Girona, she head out the door on a day where she moved into a new house, totally unaware that the course of her cycling and the course of her life was going to be changed in one second with a car accident. Imogen joins me today to recount that harrowing day 
that nearly cost her her life and nearly cost her her livelihood. It's an emotional interview and it's one that it's sad, it's tragic, it's a cautionary tale to live every day as if it's your last, but it's also an uplifting story and the beginning of an amazing comeback story. Roadman, welcome back to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the amazing, inspirational Imogen Cotter. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Good to be here. Imogen, I can't remember how many times you've been on the podcast. Two, three, four. I think this is my third. Is is it your third? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lots been going on. Yeah, lots been going on. Not really cycling, but (laughs) lots in the cycling realm, I guess. Um, Yeah. Last time we talked on the podcast, you were, I just before before we went on air, I was trying to think exactly what the conversation was. And I was listening back to a snippet of it. You were a national champion. Yeah. Which you still are a national champion. Congratulations. Uh, and you were asking me when the podcast was going to air. This was offline. You were asking me when the podcast was going to air because you wanted to announce that you had signed a professional contract, but yeah. you didn't want to announce it before the contract was actually inked. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. an exciting time. It was an exciting time. Yeah. It's uh, This is probably a bit of a different vibe now. Um, I guess like, well, to give context, if anybody is listening and they don't know, like, yeah, it, I, it was my first year pro, a national champ, you know, had a I had done an amazing winter of training and everything. Um I was moved to Girona, followed my dream, whatever, and then um I was hit by a car when I was training in January. So I suffered some pretty bad injuries. Um, broke my patella, uh ruptured my quadricep tendon, broke my radius and my ulna. Um, but the the issue was with my knee is that like it had kind of split open like when I hit the car it completely like opened like a flower is what I was told by people at the scene it was just like it's completely split open um and so the issue with that was then I had like 40 staples put into my knee so the quadriceps tendon was pinned back onto the patella the patella had been split in two so they had to like take some fragments out and screw the patella back together um and then they had to close the knee up again, but they had to close it with um, those metal staples. Um, and and as a result, obviously, I couldn't bend my knee for like six weeks because, yeah, you have to let the, the scar heal and, and close. Um, but as a result of that, I had scar tissue in my knee, which was it basically acts like cement in the knee joint. It like you can't um, you can't bend your knee really it kind of just blocks movement totally so um yeah that was the first surgery I had on the 26th of January they did all of that um and I was roll back for one second Imogen before for anyone that doesn't follow you on Insta if if you don't follow Imogen on Insta you need to be following her (laughs) what's your what's your Insta handle just Imogen Cotter Imogen Cotter it's brilliant stuff uh but roll back to the morning you're going out on that ride and because there's one of these i've i've got into meditation in the last few years i've had a few false starts with it. i've really tried to make it a part of my life and i've always had a few false starts but last couple of years i've been pretty consistent with it but one of the meditations i try and do at the moment and i've often thought of your accident when i'm doing this recently it's called the last time meditation so it's like even if i've had a super today i've podcast recordings like scattered all throughout the day and i won't get out on the bike until this evening but what I'll try and do before that is like take five minutes, ground myself and think about, okay, what if this is the last time I ever get to do a bike ride? Mm. Like what, how would I get ready? Like, would I rush getting ready or would I think about it kind of mindfully? How would I, mm. you know, enjoy the sounds? How do I enjoy the feelings? How would I enjoy the the smells, the sensations? Would I be looking at my what's, what training partners would I want to go with? And I try and think about that because there will be a last time that I do a training ride. You know, a, a buddy of mine uh, on Aqua Blue a couple of years ago, just out training, getting ready for a big priority race, and he got a bang of a car from behind, and he hasn't ridden the bike since. And, you know, one of the best Irish riders for the last decade, and just overnight never rode the bike again. And mm. he physically capable of riding the bike, but he just made a decision after that after an extended rehab and you know really bad injury broke some vertebrae 
uh, saying, you know what, I'm just not going to ride the bike again. So I think about people like him and people like you when I am doing this meditation. So that was just a long way of me saying to people, like, do think about it and do enjoy this stuff because we have this way of just rushing through life and mm. it's not till something like happens, you happens, mm -hmm. that you step and you go, oh, actually, there will be a last time that I see my parents, ride my bike, you know, yeah. go to my favorite coffee shop and take me back to that day in Girona. Uh, obviously, you didn't have any of that insight that this was going to be a life-changing day. No, take me back no. and relive a little bit what that day was like. What route had you planned? Who were you going training with? Yeah, I had, I that morning I was moving house. So um, I got up um, early. We kind of had spent the whole morning um you know, m like lugging boxes back and forth. And I was like moving into this apartment. Um, and yeah, I I got to the apartment, had my lunch. And I, I remember actually like, you know, to, not to make myself sound like cheesy or whatever, but I, I often, especially since I had moved to Girona, I would often like be taking stock of things like in that moment. And I remember getting to the apartment and like moving in and being there by myself for a minute and just being like, man, like, I really wanted this and I've made it happen like this is amazing like I'm living in a city where like I have a lot of friends here like I'm it's beautiful you know I everything had kind of panned out right like I was I had achieved what I wanted to for that time in cycling like I really wanted a professional contract I really wanted to be national champ and yeah I sent my family like a video of the apartment I was like oh my god like I cannot believe I'm living here like it's amazing <laughs> You know, and and yeah, I kind of was very appreciative of it in that moment. Um, so yeah, I got my bike and I, I headed out, and and I'd done like a really hard few weeks of training. Um, I'd done my testing that week as well. All my numbers were like fucking amazing. Like so you were absolutely flying because you were yeah. in. I remember seeing on your Instagram you took the record on Sacalabra on. Yeah. And I was there like a week after and I was like, you know what, fuck Imogen, I'm going to take, I'm going to go full gas on this. And I didn't hit the, I didn't hit the time. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I was, I was picking, I was really, really good. Um, and I felt like, you know, I just felt ready, you know, and yeah, I was, I was heading off the next week to go on a training camp with my team. And yeah, so I headed out on the bike ride and, and I, was I was on my own because I, I just thought like I'd headed out later on in the day because I'd been moving the apartment that morning so headed out later on um and I was just cycling along again I had I was nearly home but I kind of thought oh I'll just add on a little bit extra um and I, I remember where I was cycling like I was thinking oh my god like this is so beautiful like this area is just so beautiful um and I was coming down um so I was coming down like a it was like a quite like a sweeping bend in a road but like very very gradual and and also like from one side of the bend to the other like it was like a curved corner basically but you could see through because there was like a field in the middle but with no hedges or anything so you could see through to the other side um so yeah I was coming down there and um I, I was obviously on the right hand side of the road and so as I came around that bit, as as you're on the the apex of the bend, there was like a side road off to off to um yeah just obviously a side road. Um, and as I was coming around the bend, I noticed that there was another cyclist coming towards me on the left hand side of the road. So I'm coming around the bend, and this cyclist is coming, but behind him there's a van coming, like a white van. Um, and as I was coming towards that cyclist, I saw the van coming, and I saw the van overtake this cyclist oh, shit. but but in my mind I thought okay he is cutting that really fine but he if he comes back in immediately he'll just miss me and instead of going back to his side of the road he continued to take a racing line on the wrong side of the road towards that side road and he went full speed into me like in that moment I saw it coming towards me Sorry. No, take your time, Imogen. Sorry, shit. Because <laughs> they say, like, you see your life flashing before you, but you don't. Like, I didn't even have time to react. It was just like, it was just... You don't, don't have that rapid in the headlight moments where you're like, everyone's like... It's I just thought, this is going to hurt. Fight. I'm about to get really hurt. And I remember, 
I remember the the crack of hitting the van. It's unbelievable. Like I don't know if you've seen the damage I did to the van, but like my oh, knee yeah. bent in the the bonnet. Like my head, how I'm alive is a miracle. It really, really is. Like how my head broke that windscreen is unbelievable. And did um, you have a snapshot? I think anyone that hasn't had a crash this bad, I don't know if they'll understand it, but. I remember being in, it was just lined out, I was racing Basor to Basque in the Pyrenees, and it was lined out single file on the descent. We were doing 85 kilometers an hour, and the bunch of front just kind of, everyone was twitching out, and I didn't see why everyone was twitching, because I had my head down struggling for the wheel. And at the last moment, my teammate wasn't really looking, and he twitched real late, and I hit a traffic island at like 85k an hour. Oh, Jesus. But I just remember the split second before I hit the traffic island going, oh, shit. Yeah, I yeah. Made, no, I can I see. I close my eyes and I see the van, like, literally in front of me. I can see it so, so clearly. Like, it's it's literally imprinted on my memory. Like, I just, I can see it coming at me and just remember thinking, like, oh, fuck. Like, shit. Like, there's nothing else you can do and you can't. I must have when I see the car I realize that I must have been trying to get out of the way because I hit it on the left hand side whereas I was on the right hand side of the road but I hit it all the damage was to the left so I must have so you tried to go inside it yeah I must have been trying to get to the other side of the road away from it I don't remember that but um yeah so anyway then hit the hit the van I remember hitting the van what happened was I obviously hit the van with my knee and then the witness, the, the other cyclist who's being overtaken, said he saw my body go up in the air and then come down and hit the van. And then I bounced off the van and went onto the right-hand side of the road. And the van kept driving up the side road and then stopped. So if I had like rolled off to the left-hand side of the road, I would have been killed because it would have run over me. You know, It's all these like things that obviously I've been incredibly unlucky, but I've also been incredibly lucky, like how, how I'm even sitting here talking to you is just a miracle like it's crazy um and and, were you knocked out or can you remember this yeah no i was knocked out yeah i and then i woke up on the ground and the the witness who was there the other cyclist was holding my hand and i woke up and immediately first thing i said was i can't believe i'm alive like i can't believe i'm alive oh my god like i'm alive like immediately i'm so lucky i'm i'm here i'm alive oh my god like and then i was thinking like of my mom and my dad and my sisters and I was I was I felt like I was in and out of consciousness but I was conscious the whole time after I woke up but I just don't remember a lot of it but you know I was trying to get up and walk away like my knee was like completely bust open every time I I was bending my knee to get up and walk away from the accident and every time I would do it I would feel this blood like rushing down my leg like and they kept saying to me, like, don't don't look at your knee, don't look at your knee. So That's yeah. the worst thing someone can say to you as well. Well, I was glad they were saying because I would have been like sitting I would have been hysterical if I'd seen my fucking knee. I bet I know I would have been. So that yeah, I the the cyclist who was holding my hand, he was an American guy, so he he could talk to me. Is he just great. like a tourist? Uh he lives here. Um him and his wife live here and they have a son who's my age who like before like a few years before my accident he had been abroad skiing and had had a bad accident and they couldn't be there for him so it was like in that moment they were he was minding me so much I remember like his face was so kind and and I just kept looking at him being like I'm going to be okay because this guy is here with me and he's telling me I'm going to be okay that's how I felt like they they thought that I was dying because they didn't know what internal damage I had. So they were just like, he rang his wife, who's a nurse, and his, his wife was saying, you know, just stay with her because, yeah, they, they didn't know if I was dying or not. So and Did you have an awareness of how bad it is? I no, remember no, that one I was Christ, talking about. I had no idea. When I hit the traffic islands going through the air, and I remember landing on the ground, and I broke a bunch of ribs, collarbone, broke my shoulder. But I remember my first instinct, you know, in any bike race, it's like, shit, get me back on my bike. Mm. But I went to, like, lift, and I had no lift. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm after paralyzing myself in a bike race. Jesus. That was my first thought. And then it was this Russian thought of embarrassment going, oh, God, oh my God you're such an idiot. You paralyzed yourself in a bike race. Like, now <laughs> everyone's going to have to look after you for the rest of your life, for your fuck's sake, like, for a bike race. 
did you have any like awareness going oh this is bad no, this no. is bad really only in hindsight like now now I look back and I'm like uh, now it's like at the time I wasn't scared it's like the more that the more time goes past and the more I look back on it I get scared then because I think like my god Imogen you could literally have been in a coma for the rest of your life you could have you could have been paralyzed you know they're so they could have cut off my leg like you know these things like that you they were keeping me up like the fact I could have lost my leg was keeping me up at night like I really yeah and sometimes like it's only in the last month that this feeling has gone but initially I I felt like I was dreaming my life after it like that I was I was in a coma because it felt like it had been too easy of a recovery from such a serious crash like it felt like I got off too lightly in in a way like I was I I would wake up sometimes and be thinking like this isn't real like I'm not I I am in a coma like I multiverse theory honestly like it was the weirdest feeling but I I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was okay like it was really strange how long were you lying on the ground before an ambulance arrived yeah so that then that's the next thing like the the guy who was holding my hand the um Bruce he was calling to the driver like call an ambulance but the driver was like a young guy he was like <clears throat> I think he was a learner driver like he was 18 19 you know he was completely in shock like he wasn't calling an ambulance basically so they they eventually like the, another cyclist came they called an ambulance and after I think the the police got there first um and they I think that was after about 10 minutes and then the fire brigade got there um so the fire brigade were there again no pain relief and I was screaming out for it um and they were again they had to actually hold my leg down in the end because I was trying to get up they had to hold my leg down and just be like stay still um and yeah then they, I remember <laughs> <laughs> the um, the fireman there was three of them they were like holding me down but one of them had taken off my helmet and was just holding my head in place and I was like looking up at him like <laughs> he like lying on the ground looking up at him and I just went to him I'm the Irish national champion <laughs> like <laughs> like I just wanted to tell everyone by the way I'm actually like a professional cyclist so get me to a bloody hospital now um and then after like 25 minutes the first ambulance arrived but they had no pain medication with them. So I was still lying on the ground and this woman, you know, they were trying to, you know, whatever, stabilize me, check what injuries I had. I don't know, but one of the nurses was, or the paramedics or whatever was to my left. And she kept looking at my knee and going like this. And I said to her in the end, one of your witnesses told me this. I said to her, can you stop? Can you stop that? Like, cause I, again, I want always to be super positive. So I was like immediately like, I'm going to be fine. Like, I, I just, I remember thinking, shut up, like, just shut up, because it's going to be okay. You can tell so much from other people's reactions. Yeah. I remember having a, a, another crash into Ross at one time, and I KO'd, I hit a traffic island, like, knocked out completely, I was on the ground, Gosh. doctor came along, I was like, you know, put me back on my bike, and he's like, no, no, you're going to the hospital, no bike today, and I was like, cool, and then I was out for, like, two hours, and I went to the hospital, and I had lot my ear someone caught me with a chain ring across the ear and my ear was kind of half fallen off oh my god and but i i didn't really notice and i'd gone to the hospital and there was a guy came in and he looked ruined from the bike race like he road rash all over his face his nose was broke his teeth was broke and i was thinking oh my god he looks terrible then he came over to me and he's like bro you look terrible are you okay <laughs> and, and i was like oh shit if this dude's telling me i look terrible <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I, even with the firemen, I was like, don't tell me if it's bad. Don't tell me if it's bad. Um, so anyway, eventually uh, an ambulance arrived after 40 minutes and they, yeah, they got, had pain medication. And then I finally felt like, oh, I can breathe. Um, again, I hadn't arrived home. So my, my housemate didn't know where I was. It was like seven o'clock by the time I got to the hospital. So it was dark. Um, and yeah, they... Brought me so in. your phone smashed as well. My phone smashed, couldn't get in touch with my family. Luckily, I could remember my dad's number and I called my dad and my dad called, you know, my family and blah, blah, blah. But like, I had no way of getting in contact with anybody. Um, but 
Alina, my housemate, had found out that I was, um, my dad had also called Alina. And so she, her and my friend Freya got to the hospital just as I was about to be taken into surgery. And I remember just like, up until that moment, it had felt so like surreal. And and then when I saw them, I was like, oh, thank God, like just people that I know, people that I love, that, you know, I felt relaxed or something. Like, it, I just didn't feel as scared anymore because I had felt really scared. I'd never had surgery before. I was like... But even going yeah. into surgery in the local hospital, it's like yeah. you're, you're a professional bike rider. This is what you've chose to do with your life for, you know, the medium to long term. Yeah. And it's like you're going into a local hospital, but you have no second opinion. You have no third opinion. Is this the best place to get surgery? Yeah, do yeah. I need surgery right now? Mm-hmm. Do they understand that I'm a performance orientated person and I yeah. need to get back? It's like there's in that just fog of war. I think I had a U.S. Marine on a while ago and I got that expression off him. He was talking about the fog of war. You make bad decisions yeah. because there's just chaos everywhere and you don't have all the information you need. Yeah, but I wouldn't have known anything. I didn't I didn't know any. I just thought get your surgery done like and and yeah I, I I really I just signed a form being like yeah do what you want like and that's that's the thing that was haunting me at the beginning that I signed that form but like fuck imagine my life was very different now and I'd woken up and they had said like yeah we can't save this knee let's yeah. chop off the leg or something I don't know like I, I was really having like nightmares about that like man it just doesn't oh. seem like proper consent yeah, I was so out of it, but I had nobody there with me at the same time, so I had to, like, you know, it's just... And and I guess, I'm guessing you don't speak Catalan. No, no. Like, yeah, it's... it's... Oh, I, I mean, I didn't even know when I woke up from my surgery the next day, I didn't even know what they had done, like, up until, like, a couple of days later, like, and, and an English, like, a really good English-speaking person came in, and then I was like, what has been done? I didn't find out my quad tendon was ruptured till, like, six weeks after crazy stuff you know what the hell yeah like just because i i I don't know i don't know just because there's no explanation for it it was just like the yeah just a a very weird difficult time um and are the first few days in hospital are they totally serene like are your thoughts on like kind of get back to full fitness or your thoughts on just get back to being a functioning human no, no, full fitness. My Straight friend, away. yeah, yeah, immediately. Like, I, and now I look back and I'm like, you're a bit mental, Imogen. But my friend like came in to see me the next day at the hospital, and I said to her, like, first thing I said, I was like, this is going to be the best comeback ever. <laughs> like, well, everyone loves that story because <laughs> no one likes straight line success. Like, because everyone's like, okay, she was a runner, she's national champs. Like, that's a shit story. No, I'm runner, sorry. National champ, before... fuck yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> before before this i was i had already done all the like squiggly line to get to the what i i thought was the top and now i'm like what that wasn't even like that the stuff i thought was the challenge before was nothing like this is the challenge like but yeah it's uh like i i wasn't i still don't think of it like oh i just got to get back to like being a normal functioning human being like no i w- want to get back and like race my bike at a high level like i'm not thinking of just getting back and yeah do you believe in like destiny there's a grand plan out there for us do you believe that somehow this is part of yeah your journey your story have you figured out what the what the reason for it is in that i think that i should have died that day and the fact that i didn't is a miracle and i think that there's a reason i didn't die that day and i don't know what it is but i fully believe that and maybe it's not bike racing you know maybe you do get back to health and fitness but maybe it's the story no i'll get back bike racing trust me and you know i remember having that bad crash i keep harping back to my bad crash because they're so etched into your brain these crashes i remember quitting full-time racing after a bad crash and my coach at the time was riding for team sky mike barry Mm -hmm. and i remember going down to mike's house and i'd rehabbed it to the point that i was like a walk around citizen i was a human again but i wasn't like bike riding i was like mike i'm not i'm not gonna ride year two on my contract I'm going to go back to Ireland. So I was in the US at the time. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he texts me later on that night going uh, five hours in the morning. And I was like, "Like, did you forget about that conversation we had yesterday? Like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but you're 
still have to get back to fitness. He's like, you can make that decision when you're back at race fitness. He's mm-hmm. like, don't make that decision out of laziness. Don't yeah. make that decision out of, it's like, you'll have a different headspace when you get back to race fitness. Yeah. Then make that decision. Mm-hmm. And I think that was such good advice. Still quit, yeah. but I got back to race fitness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely like, if people say to me, oh, you'll get back to riding your bike. I'm like, yeah, I'll get back to riding my bike, obviously, but I'm going to get back to racing my bike. Like, this is not, this is literally, it annoys me so much. And I, I've really tried to keep my circle very positive. I don't allow any negativity into it. But like, if somebody says to me something like, oh, I suppose like, that'll be it now. Like, I'm like, absolutely fuck off. Like, no way is that it. Like, I'm not, I didn't. Like that stupid, like that corny saying, I didn't come this far to only come this far. Like, no way. I'm sorry, it annoys me so much. Like, I'm going to get back to racing my bike. And yeah, it might take me a while to get back to race fitness, but I'm definitely I'm not afraid of hard work. And if, if this has just made me more determined, like, yeah. I, I know the hardest part, and I remember reaching out to you uh, after the crash, and I, I think we I sent you a message straight after the crash, which we had a million messages then. But I remember <laughs> reaching out like, I don't know, I think it was like two, three months after the crash because that was the hardest part for me. Initially, when you have a crash, it's like that or a big life event. There's an outpouring of sympathy straight away and an mm-hmm. outpouring of attention. And you get a little bit used to that and it's everyone checking in. Are you okay? Okay, okay. But then it dies down mm-hmm. and the acute phase is kind of over and you're largely left to process a lot of this with a smaller group of friends or on your own. Yeah. And it's like, okay, shit, I'm still messed up i still have all these injuries but i don't have all this attention anymore and i always found that to actually be the hardest phase i remember checking in with you then saying like Mm. like, this is a pretty this is a pretty hard spot you're in right now do you feel like you've come through that period or did you notice that period i wouldn't say that i noticed that that period so much of like not feeling that people were supporting me because i definitely feel like through sharing it on social media and and you know I have really amazing friends and family like I felt really supported at every stage throughout but I will say that the hardest part for me was um like I was saying about the scar tissue in my knee that it acted like cement because I had to keep my legs straight for like six weeks to allow the stitches to heal um then my knee was just locked at 70 degrees that was like the max 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 that it could go and you can't cycle with 70 degrees but you can't really walk with 70 degrees either like you can walk but it's with a really obvious limp um and that time for me when I realized like it had stopped getting better was really really scary um that's the same time that you know my my neighbor came over and he was helping me set up my my turbo with the crank shortener on it um which I couldn't even use at the time because even though I had the crank shortener I still couldn't reach 70 degrees comfortably so my neighbor came over and he was helping me um and I ended up having like a bit of a breakdown because I was like I can't believe like I can't even get a, a pedal stroke at 70 degrees um like am I ever never mind like race again am I ever going to walk again properly like and and that you know I couldn't climb up and down stairs you know am I ever gonna go upstairs again properly is is this as good as it gets and yeah he said to me he recommended like why don't you get in touch with this doctor in Belgium um who works in Herentals which is like at the, the hospital in Herentals is very famous with cyclists um you know, they, they like Alaphilippe is there at the moment and the other quick sub rider who crashed at Liège last Liège. Um, but yeah, often they would go to that hospital and my team is based in Herentals, like that's where the service course is. So they were able to get me an appointment. I went for a consultation with this doctor and when I went in and I showed him my knee, he just said like, this is bad. This is worse than I thought and we're going to need to do another surgery. And yeah that's gonna be hard to hear it was so it was so scary it was so scary to hear someone say this is bad and in that moment like when he said to me this is bad I couldn't even think like of cycling again I said to him oh my god am I going to walk again like am I going to walk properly again because I couldn't even think like am I going to race my bike again I just thought am I gonna have a normal life after this or am I never gonna walk upstairs again or you know these things like it 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 pulls away 
all of the things that like you think are important and then you're left with like okay can I be a functioning human being like can I um so I went yeah, back to I Belgium. think it's you have to take those hierarchy and you have to kind yeah. of go uh, like am I gonna walk again am I gonna mm. be able to run again am I gonna be able to go to the gym again it's, it's the stupid stuff you're gonna want to do when you're 50 years old yeah, can you go yeah, and yeah. climb spink ever yeah. again and it's once you start taking those off I think it then you can start going, well, will I cycle again? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, will I cycle competitively again? Will mm-hmm. I win again? But I, I think it's a process and you got to tick each of them off to yeah. just put your head in the sand and say, oh, I'm going to win bike races again. It's like the positive thinking, it's brilliant. But if it doesn't totally align with reality, mm. it's, you know, that's when I think you can get into some real mental health difficulties around mm. it. Yeah. So I, I ended up going back to Belgium Um my team got me an appointment for surgery with him as soon as possible. I went back to Belgium and I had surgery on the 11th of this month, I think, um, to just remove all of the scar tissue uh, and get the force, like they, they do a thing called force flexion. So also there was still a piece of the car, like a piece of plastic left in my knee, like very small, obviously, like maybe about half the size of my pinky fingernail, but like that's, that's sizable, like in a yeah, knee you joint. Don't want to you do. don't need it in there. Um, and yeah, they took out the scar tissue, then did like a force flexion, so my knee could get my knee could get normal range of motion again. Um, and yeah, now I just I'm in the process of having to like stretch my muscles out again because obviously they hadn't stretched that far like in two and a half or three months. So now it's like at the stage where. I don't have the block of the scar tissue anymore. The only block is is uh, like through stretching. I just need to stretch it. I think I've had a chance to chat with some coaches of big NFL teams and NBA teams and teams with yeah. huge budgets. You know, you know, mass, mad times in advance of where we are with cycling. And something that they're really starting to work on in the last few years is there's two sides to these rehabs. We have the obvious physical side. Players and athletes need to get back to competition level. But they also need to acknowledge the trauma so they can heal the trauma mentally. Mm. So this isn't something unresolved trauma ends up coming back and impacting performance down the line and impacting mental health after the career. Have you started thinking about how do you heal the mental trauma of all this? Yeah, like I I actually met with my friend here yesterday and um, and she was saying to me like that I you know we we had spoken about that I probably need to delve into that a bit more because at the moment I'm very like I am very grateful that I'm alive and all of these things and sometimes I forget to actually then sit down and be like okay I can be grateful I'm alive but I can also be really upset with with how this has panned out like you can feel both at the same time um and I think that I'm a bit afraid to feel those feelings of like feeling that that yeah I had something taken from me like I had opportunities taken from me I had the biggest year of my life so far kind of swept out from under my feet and I, I I'm afraid to like sit with that feeling because I don't want to get too upset about it I don't want to get I don't want to feel all that like heavy it's a really heavy feeling when I when I allow myself to think about it and I'm almost afraid to to think about it like too much so i need to you've like the winner's mentality image and it's like you don't want to let any weakness in but i think it's it's by tagging stuff as strength and weakness that you're maybe not allowing yourself to be a little bit vulnerable you're not Mm. allowing yourself to be because you can hold opposing feelings you can be super positive that you're going to make a comeback and win a national championship again at some time and do all the classics and stuff that you're destined to do this year but at the same time acknowledge that you've gone through some really hard stuff and you're a young girl in a foreign country on your own going through a lot of stuff that you don't have the answers for you're i think you're Mm. allowed to be vulnerable with that yeah that that has been hard like I, i will say for sure that like obviously i've had my family around and like my family did say to me like do you want to come back to ireland i was like no like i'm going to stay here like I, I didn't want to like give up my Girona dream. If I had to give up all my other bloody dreams, like I didn't want to give up my Girona dream. Um, you know, and I, I have had my family around a lot, but like it has been 
really difficult to be here, like navigating the system here. I think even if this happened in Ireland, I would kind of struggle with like knowing, oh, who, how do I get a lawyer? Like whose insurance covers this? Like what health insurance do I have? Like, you know, all these things that would have been difficult in Ireland. It's then like exacerbated when you're in another country because you have like a whole language barrier to get through. Um, and that has been really difficult. The, the most difficult part was just the last few weeks where I was in Belgium, like recovering from the surgery. I was going in for like intense, like two hour physio sessions every day. But that, you know, I was alone there. I was really alone. And my sister ended up coming out for a weekend because she was like, you know, she rang me one of the days and I just like broke down crying. I was like, this is just the hardest part of this so far is being over here in Belgium. And like, yeah, just feeling feeling like I, I I just wasn't sure you know what was the recovery how, how did recovery look from this surgery like was I meant to be already back on my bike like were, were things going well were they not going well enough like you just start thinking so much when you're on your own um so yeah I that's think that's the hardest part when you have a path and it's like when you have like a yellow brick road and you feel like okay I'm really early on this yellow brick road but all i need to do is follow the yellow brick road and because hard work is always taking you from point a to point b and you think Mm -hmm. okay well all i need to do is follow this yellow brick road but then you follow a little bit of the way down and you're like shit this road doesn't lead to where i want to go and that's the part that's mentally really difficult and it's like I, i i don't see the way i don't know like show someone show me a way i need a healthcare person i need a surgeon yeah. i need a physio i need just one person to own this and say <laughs> this it. is the path i wish i had had somebody like that i wish they like i don't think many people do have that like it's not like a common thing but you kind of wish you had someone who'd just be like imogen this is the best course of action this is what we're going to do let's do it instead of me having to make it, it feels like okay obviously i'm an adult i'm 28 but like it feels like through this i've had to be like a a real adult (laughs) because I've had to you know be figuring things out deciding things you know and and it's been yeah it's been obviously it's been awful but like I really feel like it's made me stronger as a person as well you know what when you find the do you remember when you're getting started in cycling and if anyone's getting started they'll understand this feeling right now like you get started and you do a couple of sessions and it's the first time you've heard about doing a threshold session you so you do a threshold mm-hmm. session and you instantly get that feedback to go oh my god that works i'm on the right path and you get better and then you do your mm-hmm. first bike races and you're in the bunch but the next bike race you win it and you're progressing so fast and i remember at that stage of my cycle i was just like like where is the ceiling am i this crazy talent like am i going to be winning the tour in five years i'm progressing so fast i don't know where the ceiling is you know you win races domestically then you're abroad and you're like holy shit and then at some point in your journey maybe you haven't got there yet but at some point in my journey i plateaued and i'm like okay i'm at continental level and i'm not really winning races this is kind of this is it but that beginner's mindset when you're making all these improvements when you're fresh it's so exciting but rehabbing from an injury when you find that path is the closest thing I felt to that because you make progress all the time. Like my first session back after my worst ever crash and I shock and crash in a criterium in Detroit where I broke both collarbones, ribs, had a collapsed lung, broke my glenoid fossa, Jesus. broke a finger, bunch of road rash. And I was in hospital for weeks and I was ruined. And I remember my first session back and it was literally a walk to the end of the driveway on crutches. And I was like bawling, crying at the end of the driveway, coming back in, a mix of emotion and pain. Mm-hmm. And then the next day going, okay, I'm going to walk past the end of the driveway. And now yeah. I'm going to walk to the post box. And that was progress. And it started from there. And then it became, okay, I'm going to walk around the block. I'm going to walk twice around the block. I'm going to cycle around the block. I'm going to cycle twice around the block. And you had all this progress. But I was, I'd found that path and I'd found that person that I could trust to rehab it. So I think you are in a difficult spot, but also one of the most fun and exciting spots because you get to be the newbie who makes all the progress again. Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like as well, now that I know things are going to get better, like that I'm not going to go backwards and all of a sudden not be able to, you know, pedal my bike again, that feels really good to me like that feels it it feels like I'm on the right path and it just I feel more relaxed as well because before I went to Belgium I was just like 
you know, maybe it wasn't obvious from the outside looking in, but I was just a ball of anxiety. I was really not sleeping well. I was just, I was just, yeah, gone a bit crazy trying to figure out was I ever going to cycle again? And, you know, I think I've written about this on Instagram, but I had kind of not made peace with the fact, but I had kind of come to the conclusion that I probably wasn't going to cycle again. Like, you know, or if I was going to cycle, it was going to be as a para-athlete because I wasn't going to be able to do a full rotation of my pedal. And I kind of made that, like, I had come to that conclusion and made peace with it is a is a, maybe a bit of an exaggeration because it was still quite painful to process. But I kind of thought, like, okay, this is not going to be the worst thing ever. Like, I'm going to be able to ride a bike in some way. And, yeah, I now that I've come back from Belgium and I, I know that I'll ride my bike without any adaptations, that feels great. But I had also thought that even when I couldn't when that didn't seem possible I had also thought like okay I'll ride my bike regardless you know I'll still be competitive no matter what happens that's how do you think do you think playing it out on Instagram and kind of letting people inside your private headspace you think that's been a good thing bad thing helpful sorry the the line cut out there what was that do you think that playing out your injury on Instagram where you know most people that you know, they don't intimately know you, but now they have an intimate knowledge of your injury. They have an intimate knowledge of your, your mindset. Do you think that's been helpful? Do you think it's been a positive or a negative? Um, For me, I would definitely say that that has been a huge positive thing. I have felt really like I, I, I have loved my Instagram account through all of this. The support that I get, the the, the messages that I get every day and messages from people who write Imogen like I watched your story a few months ago and I thought like oh my god like poor girl and now I've been hit by a car or now I've had a really bad crash and like you are helping me they manifest so it for themselves I... they're watching your account <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's like a it's an amazing thing because you you hear so much about the negative side of um of Instagram but for me it's been like a hugely positive thing and uh like it it's been a way of sharing sharing my journey has also been like yeah helped other people and you know maybe that is maybe maybe if I can't ride my bike at the moment you know properly maybe that's my purpose at the moment is just to like share my story and maybe help a a few people who might be feeling like depressed or like they don't have they don't have answers or, or that like they, they are afraid of their injuries or whatever it is like you know we're on a path we, we're all going well maybe we won't all experience it but if you see somebody else experiencing it it makes it a bit less scary and well, you also don't me, owe that the... to them Imogen like you don't owe your followers or anyone no, on no. Instagram no no anything. of course I don't but but I don't feel like I'm doing it because I'm like, oh, God, I've got to post something for people. I'm posting it because I feel like people are genuinely interested and supportive of me now. I'm not I, I don't ever wake up one day and think, oh, crap, I've got to post an update for everybody. If I see if I take a video and I can see some progress or if I take a picture and, and I think like, yeah, people might want to see this, then I share it. But I don't ever like panic about having content for my Instagram or anything like that like I I really don't think too much about it I just post what I want to post and if people want to follow me they want to follow me that's that's how I come in and if we circle right back to the very start we were talking about that last time meditation that mm. you know this evening I'll go through and kind of just mindfully think about getting kitted and do you think you can draw positives at all from this when you go back cycling I think that you know as an athlete like I think in sport in general you you go through so many life lessons that you wouldn't normally get in your everyday life and I definitely think that there is no experience that I could have had outside of cycling or outside of sport on this level that would have made me into the person that I have become because of this accident like I am I'm always been very independent but I feel very strong now I feel like I feel I mean yeah I feel like I just don't sweat the small stuff like who gives a shit if 
you know this tiny thing is happening in your life like you could die tomorrow like that is just literally how i think of things now i'm like getting very you know, stoic on this but why sweat the small stuff like you have to be stoic on it like why would you sweat the small stuff when you could literally die tomorrow or today like you know that it's made me very aware of that like and you know i i saw another friend of mine post a again another cyclist who was also hit by another car last year and yesterday was her unofficial birthday because that's the day she could have died and for sure for me the 26th of January 2022 is my unofficial birthday like because I I'm going to celebrate two birthdays now from now on I really think that um you just have to appreciate every day that's how it's made me think of it treat yourself to the little small things like getting a coffee you know going reading your book whatever it is like just find that joy in the small things yeah i think and it's gonna sound weird but i almost think the rehab from getting back to your knee uh, to full health and you've been able to ride the bike i actually think that matters less than the other journey you're on like the in that's i call that the external journey of trying to rehab your knee i think the other one that you're on of the person that you're becoming in the process of this long term is probably going to be more important to you yeah for sure I think it's going to make me a stronger person but also like a stronger athlete when I get back to racing like I I feel I definitely feel that like yeah it just it puts things in perspective for sure would you change it would you go back and not go out training that day yes I would because I mean I I definitely still you know the, the things that the hardship that I've gone through with it, the emotional hardship, physical hardship, but also like all the, the pain of like not being able to wear my national champs jersey to race, barely being able to wear it outdoors. Like that is, that's been really difficult for me. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that has been a really hard thing to make peace with and something that I haven't made peace with actually. It really hurts me to even think that like my huge goal was to wear that jersey and represent my country at these big races at the classics and and I had that taken away from me by somebody who just couldn't wait 10 seconds literally 10 seconds to overtake another cyclist it's so so it's infuriating when I think of it like that like that he what the fuck did he gain from that I think I'd be like you, Imogen. I think I I do believe in the kind of there's a purpose to it. We're here for a destiny. There's a route planned for us. I don't know if it's you know God, the universe, whatever it is. But I don't think it's fully revealed itself to you. But I think you're still alive for a, a higher purpose that hasn't revealed itself to you yet. And I think it's going to be super interesting to watch it play out and see what it is. Same. I'll come back on again in another whatever six months, and <laughs> hopefully we'll have a bit more insight then. <laughs> hey, Richard, thanks for chatting. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're getting value from the podcast, can I ask you for one small favor before you head about your day? Can you make a point of sharing episodes that you have enjoyed with friends who you think need to hear that message? Or better yet, if you get the episode link and share it into a club, Facebook or WhatsApp group, whatever your particular club is using. I truly believe that we're building something valuable and something special here on the Roadman Cycling Podcast. But I need your help. I need the help of every single Roadman Cycling Podcast listener to spread the word. It is much appreciated, Roadman.